welcome to Coastal. This is how we roll. Hey, how about the, we've started site work. Woo! Man, I was, uh, they rolled up on our property this week. I was giddy as a schoolgirl. I was like, woo! We've started fencing. Woo! Tree protection. Um, no, we, I was jacked up this week. And um, you're going to start seeing uh, lots of stuff and lots of uh, activity over there in the field. Thank you, those of you who walked uh, the great distance from across the street, and those of you who are really spiritual and parked at Hardee's, thank you. Uh, no, uh, we appreciate appreciate your accommodation over the next uh, uh, several months as we make room for more and more people and to include more people. Uh, hey, inside your bulletin, a couple other things I want to draw to your attention. Uh, one is your uh, life group brochure. Everybody pull that out. Hey, next Sunday is Life Group Sunday here at Coastal, and uh, it's awesome. If for those of you who've never been to Life Group Sunday, Sunday. Uh, picture like a job fair, career fair. We'll be in here for worship. I'll have kind of an abbreviated message. And then we actually will dismiss everybody to go outside underneath a ginormous tent. And uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be heated if it's cold, all that kind of stuff. But uh, there'll be tables, just like at a job fair, uh, you know, that represent different careers and jobs. But we'll have tables representing all the different life groups that are inside this brochure. And so you're not signing up today yet. Sign up begins next weekend. Uh, but we wanted to go ahead and put this in your hands so that you can go ahead and take a look at, at the catalog, all the different groups and when and where and the locations and the studies and all that good stuff. If you have any questions, just let us know, somebody on staff. And uh, next week, uh, you'll be able to check out all the different groups and um, the leaders and the, and the studies. And, and there'll be food and snacks. It'll be a lot of fun. You actually get to vote. Uh, next week on like uh, the best overall display and the best snacks and most creative, all that kind of fun stuff. We'll have a great time next Sunday. So take a look at this. Be prepared to sign up. You, you will be able to sign up uh, here uh, online on your Connect card. We'll have the new catalog online probably later on uh, the week this week. So uh, so take care of that. Uh, the other thing inside your bulletin today that I wanted to draw your attention to is you may or may not have a you're invited card inside your bulletin, and that's for you to give away to somebody, a friend or neighbor. However, uh, evidently there was an old box of cards with incorrect times, and so if your time says uh, 9.30, 11.15, or 6 o'clock, just do this. Go ahead and go, whoop, it's wrong. So uh, throw those away. We have other ones, and evidently they got mixed up. So uh, you may or may not have that. It might have already been taken care of. So uh, this is how we roll. We begin a new series today, and um, I got to thinking about this this week. How many of you remember the first car that you bought? Not, I mean, not like your parents gave you, you borrowed from them or whatever, but your money, your job, your car, you bought your, remember the first, shout out, give me a first car that you got when you were growing up. Uh, what was this one? A CRX. Now, some people say that the car says something about you, right? You know, like for those of you who drive trucks or, you know, or you know, I don't know, sports cars, you know, convertibles, your car says something about you. The first car I bought with my money actually was a 1978 four-door Pontiac Le Mans, and uh, it was a tank. I mean, it was a, it, you know what it said about me? You're poor. <laughs> that's what, uh, that's basically what it said. Although it basically said you you know, it, I mean, you could not damage this car. In fact, we, we, we had that car for a long time, put over, like, I think close to 400,000 miles on it or something, and we actually sold it for scrap metal. So um, I don't, I'm not sure what it says about me, but uh, this is how we roll. What does that mean? You know, when you hear that phrase, you hear somebody use that, uh, here's what I think it means. 
I think it means, you know, hey, this is who we are. You know, this is how we do things around here. This is, this is what we're about. This is what we value. Uh, this is the culture here. And, uh, you know, you're not necessarily saying that, hey, we're right and you're wrong or this is the only way. But really what you are saying when you use that phrase is, well, this is our way, right? This is how we roll. You might say that about, you know, your family or your business. We're, we're saying that about our church, and that's what this series is all about. So how we roll here at Coastal. So for the next four or five weeks, what we're going to try to do is uh, take a look at some of the purposes of the church, some of the purposes of our church, and then basically say, hey, this is how we roll here. This is what it looks like. This is the culture here. This is what we're about. This is what we value. So today, I want to begin by talking about one of the highest priorities here at Coastal. I want us to talk about reaching people. Now, I think most every church in America would probably say that, you know, they're about evangelism or they're about reaching out to people. They're outward, you know, oriented, not inward focused. But, you know, every church is still different. Every church has its own little culture, uh, you know, its language, the way they do things. So what does it look like here? Now, here at Coastal, we happen to believe that the entire message of the Bible, the overall theme of the Bible is all about God reaching out to you. So that you would reach out, you would reach back out to him. It, it, at its core, we believe that the Bible is a redemption story. In fact, the entire life of Jesus was all about reaching out to those people who were lost, loving people, who were far from God so that ultimately they would come home. And then, get this, once we come home, once the lost are found, what, what we are to be all about, you and I have been given a mission. And so our reason for living, our mission in life, the purpose of the church is then to turn around and to reach other people, to love people, to serve people, so that maybe, just maybe, they in turn might find their way and also come home. So that's what this church is all about. We say that all the time. We exist to share and experience life. And we believe that that as well is the heart of God. Okay, And it shapes everything we do here. I mean, it really does. It, it, it's not What I want you to understand today is that what I'm talking about today is not just a, a little side note, you know, a, a little nice thing that we like to talk about you know, every once in a while. It really is why we exist. It's why we do what we do here. It is, it is the lens through which we evaluate everything. It's our passion. It's our mission. It is how we roll. Now, I have preached a lot of messages over the years about how we do that here at Coastal, about what that looks like. And we talk all the time, you know, about our strategy. Our strategy basically is very simple. It's invest and invite. In fact, also in your, uh, in your bulletin this morning, there's a little invest and invite card where you could write on the back of that card, keep it in your wallet, three names of people that you're praying for, that you're building relationships with, that you're reaching out to. And we talk about that strategy of, of being a friend. You know, that, that we exist to build relationships with other people who don't know Jesus. You know, not just here, but, but out there in the community. That we are to live as a missionary wherever God has placed you. You know, in your neighborhood, in your school, at your workplace. We are to love and serve our neighbors. We're to pray for that open door. That So just maybe you might be able to eventually share your story, share your faith. But most definitely invite them to Coastal. Because we believe that if you'll bring your friends and your neighbors, your people, the people in your life that are searching, if you bring them here, 
they're going to hear about who here? They're going to hear about Jesus. And so we believe that that, what I just described, kind of in a, in a quick nutshell, is the best way that people come to know Christ. It's relationships. Now today, here's what I want to do. I want you to understand the reason we roll that way. Because I think once you really get a, a handle on the why, once you see the heart of God, you know, the how will make sense. It, it'll come naturally. And to do that, since this is kind of a, you know, this is what we value, this is what it looks like here at Coastal, today what I want us to do is I want us to look at one of, the, one of my most favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And if someone were to ask me, hey, Pastor Chris, you know, are there several like foundational you know, passages or stories in the Bible that kind of reflect the heart of Coastal? I would say that this is one of them. This is like a, you know, a foundational core chapter for our church. And it might surprise you. It's Luke chapter 15. And I have taught and preached from this passage many, many, many times. And I want to do so again today. Let me, let me set the story for you, set the, the background of the stage here, what's going on at this point in Scripture, okay? Jesus is simply being Jesus, okay? He is doing what he does best, doing, in fact, what he came to do, and that's the point, okay? In fact, which, what, you, what you discover here at this time, Jesus basically is hanging out with people that other people would consider to be on the outside. Okay, he's hanging out with the outcast of his day. In fact, Scripture even says here that the the uh, judgmental, self righteous Pharisee says he's hanging out with the notorious sinners. I'd like to be in that group, right? Notorious sinners and uh, people who would be considered far from God. You know, today we might say people who would say, "Hey, I would never darken the door of a church." You know, if I show up at that church, the walls are going to what? Come crumbling down or something, right? You know, like you're the egg on the wall. Whoa, crumbling down. Anyway, um, that's the people that Jesus was hanging out with. And he's doing what Jesus does. He's, he's loving them. He's teaching them. He's eating with them. By the way, I think there's a great lesson for us there. You know, who do we spend our time with? Who, who do we spend most of our time with? Now, the problem was is that this happened to tick off the religious leaders of Jesus' day. I mean, they are angry, they're upset, they're miffed. I mean, like, Jesus, you know, what are you doing? You ought to be spending time with us. Th these are people that, you know, that we won't spend time with, you know, that we don't care about. They don't matter. W what are you doing? And so Jesus can see into the heart of other people. He knows what's going on. He knows what they're thinking. And so he is ticked off. I mean, basically, you know, it's as though Jesus, you know, he, he's had it up to here with these guys. And so he basically says, hey, enough, enough, that's it, I'm tired of this. And so for the first and only time in his entire ministry up to this point, Jesus tells three stories, okay, three stories in rapid fire fashion, you know, back to back to back, so that once and for all, he kind of clear up all the confusion about why Jesus came, about what his purpose is, about what his passion is all about, and he wants them to see the heart of God. That's important. And I want you to see that today. Now, you might be familiar with some of these stories. The first story goes like this. If you had a hundred sheep and one of them strayed away and was lost in the wilderness, 
Wouldn't you leave the 99 others and go search for the lost one until you found it? And then would you joyfully carry it home on your shoulders? And when you arrived, you would call together all your friends and your neighbors to rejoice with you because your lost sheep was found. And then what are the next four words? What does he say? In the same way. Say that out loud with me. In the same way, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Story number two. Or suppose a woman has 10 valuable silver coins and she loses one. Won't she light a lamp and look in every corner of the house and sweep every nook and cranny? I like that word, cranny. What's a cranny? You know, hey, hey, uh, you know, son, go to the cranny and get the, you know, what, what is a cranny? Nook and cranny. But anyway, she's searching everywhere, every nook uh, and cranny until she finds it. And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her because She's found her lost coin. What's the next four words? There is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one, one sinner repents. Now stop right there for a second. First two stories, there's obviously a few, you might say, common threads here, right? First of all, something of great value is missing, right? In each one of the stories, something of great value. There's the, the lost sheep, the lost coin. In fact, number two, the, the next thread is that it's so valuable that it warrants an all-out search. Right? Leave the 99. Go find the one in the wilderness. You know, turn the whole house upside down. Try every nook and cranny trying to find the lost coin. And then the other common thread is that once it's found, there's a what? Man, there's a party. There's a big celebration. Now keep those common threads in mind. Verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. Now, Jesus tells then what is probably one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible, but definitely one of the most famous stories that Jesus has ever told. We know it as the story of the what? The prodigal son. Jesus says this. A man has two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now, instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth, his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and took a trip to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money on what? On wild living. He goes to Vegas, okay, basically, takes off to Vegas, loses everything. Let me give you a quick synopsis. Loses everything, all of his money, all of his friends, you know, are now gone. Uh, he hits rock bottom, right? He hits the wall. He, he comes to his senses, and he, he actually decides to, to go home. Now, on his way home, when the father sees him uh, returning, he runs to him, hugs him, calls all the other servants together, and basically says this. It says in Scripture, he said, We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's what? Found. So the party began. Now, to understand this story, and to really understand 
how we roll here at Coastal, why we do what we do, and to see the heart of God, you've you got to know some things about the culture of that day. In fact, I want to let you in on a few things that a, uh, a typical Middle Eastern dad of that culture in that time would never, ever do. Okay? First of all, in that day, a Middle Eastern dad would never... Never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, divide up his estate early and give it to one of his kids. Never happened under any circumstances. Never, ever, ever, no way. Okay. Now, in our day, we read that. We don't think a thing about it because, you know, uh, people today can do whatever they want to with their money, right? Especially in the later years of their life or their estate or whatever. I mean, in fact, today, you know, dad's getting a little bit older and he decides, hey, I want to go ahead and give, you know, a lot of my money and a lot of my estate or my wealth to my children. He can do that if he chooses to. You could choose to give some of your wealth or your money to a charity. You could even choose, if you want to, to go to Vegas on your own and blow all your money if you want to. In other words, there's really no, you know, cultural etiquette about what, when it comes to how parents should handle their, their money in the later years of their life. It's whatever you feel like doing. But in that day, a Middle Eastern dad would follow a, a thousand year, a, a generational tradition of holding on to all of the land, all of the cattle, all his belongings that he had acquired over his entire life. And he'd hang on to that stuff until his deathbed. And, and just before he died, there'd be this kind of a ceremonial transfer. In fact, if you've been reading along in, in our Bible reading, uh, our one-year Bible plan, uh, you've already read a little bit about this, right? Remember the story of who? Jacob and Esau. Very good. Um, well, there would be this transfer to the oldest son, and then the rest of all the members of the family, they, they'd get the, the rest of it would be kind of divided up among them. Now, that is the way it had always been. Never, you know, nobody ever did anything else that is the way it was done in that culture. And so, in this famous story that Jesus tells, the son, you know, in rebellion and arrogance, he comes to the dad and he says, hey, I want what's coming to me when you die, and I want it right now. I want it now. In effect, he was saying to his dad, I want to live as if you were dead. I want to conduct myself. I want to live as if you had no claim, no stake on me or my life. I want to live like you're dead. Now, in some ways, the most remarkable part of this story is what comes next. Because Jesus wants, he wants us to know that this dad is not your typical dad. He's not the typical father. And the father in heaven, about whom this story is really being told, is not your average God. So here's the first major twist in the story. Jesus said, so the dad agreed to divide his inheritance early and give it to the boy. Now, everybody who was listening to the story at that moment, they would have all went, <gasps> no way. I mean, it, it had never been done. I mean, they would have been shocked. And so he gives the estate to the rebellious kid 
And he basically, the dad just kind of stands off on the sidelines at this point, and I'm sure watches his son probably, you know, sell off the family possessions. You know, sell off some of the estates, some of the cattle, so he can just stuff his pockets with, you know, full of cash, and then, you know, pack his suitcase and head out for the, the, the bright lights of the big city. And at this point in the story, Jesus' listeners must have been thinking, man, this dad is nutso. He is insane. I mean, a dad would never do anything like that. A dad back then would have smacked his son on the back of the head and said, hey, get your butt back out to the fields. You know, get to work. Who do you think you are? So what point is Jesus trying to make here? Now, parents, you can answer that a little bit if you think about it. You know, let me ask you, mom, dad, what about those critical moments in child rearing? When one of your children is so sure that they are right about something. And so sure that, you know, about the fact that they want something or they need something. And they have to have it. And they're so completely convinced that you are brain dead. Okay? And that they now have been endowed with, you know, supernatural mental capacities way beyond their years. Wise beyond their years. So what do you do? You know, at those, at those critical intersections, what do you occasionally decide to do for the sake of your kid? Sometimes you let them go. Sometimes you let them make their own choices, go their own way. Let me ask you, do you want your kids to, you know, as a parent, do you want your children to love you? you know, be a part of your family and, you know, kind of go your way because you make them? Because you force them to? Or because they choose to? You know, did the father in this story know where the son was headed probably with, you know, pockets full of money? I'm sure he did. Then what in the world motivated this dad to divide up the inheritance early and then just let his son go his own way? Listen, you know the answer. You know what it is? It's love. In fact, it's a kind of, of fatherly love and compassion that allows the son to strike out on his own, to do his own journey, to learn his own lessons, to come to his own conclusions, even if, even if it meant he might crash and burn. Now, it's very important that you begin to understand the mercy and the grace and the compassion involved in that dad's decision to divide up the inheritance early and to let his son go. Time out for a second. Stop right there. Let's talk about us. Let's talk about that time in high school where what you did was pure foolishness and in many cases self-destructive and, and you hurt yourself and you maybe even hurt others. Or let's talk about what some of us maybe did in college or what we did in our 20s or 30s when you struck out on your own and, and basically you just waved goodbye to God and you headed down your own path. Maybe we could talk about what you did last week or even last night. What I'm saying is, hey, let's talk about those moments when basically we thumb our noses at God and we basically tell him in our own very rebellious way what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and we tell him to step aside and we are going to go our own way. And you know what? He knows where it leads. 
He knows we're headed for trouble. Now, what could God do? He could smack us on the back of the head. He could pirate your will and your thoughts and make you go his way, make you conform to his program, because he is God, right? He has the power to do that. In fact, I could probably build the case that he has the right to do it. But what does God do in his extraordinary mercy? He lets you go. But then he says this. You can always come home. I will be looking for you every single day. If you choose to go to a faraway place, when you go to that distant land, listen, I'll let you go. I love you that much. But I'll be waiting for you. I will be looking for you every single day. What a remarkable God we have. I mean, before we go on in the story, can I just ask you for a second, could you possibly consider the possibility, the idea that you might be the prodigal son in this story? That you are at a faraway place. Any of you been to a distant land lately? Maybe you're there right now today. And maybe you even had thoughts about coming home. Today might be your day. Let's go on with the story. You know how it goes? Son runs out of money. Not because he gave part of it away to charity, not because of a bad investment he got suckered into. You know, it was his own doing. In fact, the Bible basically says he ground through his entire money pile through wild living. In fact, in today's language, we would say he flushed it down the toilet. Okay, that's what he did. He blew it. And to make matters worse, a famine comes and complicates everything. Listen, he is out of money, out of friends, you know, those types of friends, out of food, out of luck. And for the very first time in his life, it, it's, it's gut check time. It, it's reality check. He's got to face the truth about his life, about his future. There's nobody else around him to bail him out. And so he begins to think to himself, man, what I wouldn't give. You know, what, what I wouldn't do for a second chance. And then he starts thinking, maybe, just maybe, I could go home. Maybe I could go back to my dad and, and, you know, at the very least, maybe I could just talk him into letting me be, he could hire me. You know, the low level, I could be one of his servants. And, and I, I, I could do better as a servant than I'm doing now. Now, he's not even sure if his dad even will want to see him again. And then he starts thinking, man, what happens when my dad finds out that I have squandered all of his money, all of his estate, his possessions, the things that he had built for a lifetime, he had been acquiring, I've blown them all. He starts thinking about, you know, the shame and the guilt of that. And, and it's a long shot and he knows it. But, but then he starts thinking, but the reality is, I'm starving. In fact, the Bible says that the only job that he could find was feeding pigs. And he's feeding the slop to the pigs, and he's starving. He starts eating it, thinking, you know, this, this, is, how, this is how it's come. This is what it's come to. You know, that's why he starts thinking, I could do better off as a, as a slave in, in my, in my, with my dad. You know what, if you, if you live in a distant country long enough, if you're in a faraway place long enough, eventually you'll, you will hit rock bottom. 
And that's where the son was. He was alone. He was desperate. He had no hope. Listen, I've said this a million times. People don't change when they see the light. People change when they feel the heat. And he's feeling it here. He's feeling the heat. And so he turns toward home. And he has no idea what he's going to find when he gets there. Could you imagine that walk back home? I mean, i got to imagine, you know, maybe he took about 10 feet forward, and then he stopped, and then he turns back around, oh, it's not, it's not worth it. You know, he must have gone through that like, you know, like a million times. You know, and all of a sudden he starts thinking about, you know, the shame of it all, and the guilt of it all, and what's my dad going to do, and what am I going to find there? And as he gets closer, as he gets closer, he looks off into the distance, and he cannot believe his eyes. There is his dad doing something that a Middle Eastern dad would never do in that day. It's another thing this dad is doing. You know what it is? Running. <laughs> running out in public. That, that would never happen. He is running out in front of the neighbors. He is running full speed toward him. Now, again, in our culture today, you know, we read this story, we see that, and, and we miss all the sensitivity of this because people run today, right? Some of you, anybody run yesterday in the Charleston Half Marathon? You're a bunch of liars. Nobody, let's all say we did. Woo, we did. Okay, whatever. Anyway, uh, but people run today, right? I mean, it's a common thing, but not in that day. Okay, you need to see this, not in that culture. Because running was way beneath the dignity of a wealthy, intelligent, Middle Eastern patriarch of the family. I mean, if something needed hurried attention, they'd send a kid running, okay? A child running, a servant running. But a dad would never run, never be caught in public. It was absolutely unthinkable. And, so, and yet, here, in plain view, here comes the prodigal son's dad. I mean, picture it in your mind. Man, he is going full stride, you know, hair's blowing, you know, his robe is all hitched up, you know, he's trying to cinch it, and, you know, his flip-flops are flipping around, you know, and, and, uh, and necklace is jingling, and, and then, but don't miss this, his arms are outstretched. His arms are outstretched. Can you see the picture that Jesus is painting for his listeners of this dad running full speed toward his wayward son? His listeners would know that normal dads don't do this. They would never run. And his listeners are they're gasping again until they slowly begin to understand what Jesus is teaching them and what he's trying to teach us is the fact that in this story, this dad is no ordinary dad. And the father in heaven, about whom this story is really all about, is no ordinary father. The father in heaven, the God of the universe. Listen, he has his heart so totally wrapped around the heart of even the most wayward children. That when, when they are tired of living dead in lives, when they hit rock bottom in a distant land and they turn around and they head home, they can expect to find the 
father of all fathers, the God of the universe, in full stride, arms outstretched, crying, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. You know, I've been longing for this day forever. I've been watching for you. I've been waiting for you. Welcome home. So much for dignity, etiquette, throw it all out the window. Who cares, you know, that the neighbors are pointing and laughing. There's an embrace that that warrants a a hundred-yard dash. Guys, don't you see the picture of that? This is truly one of the, the classic images in all of the Bible. If you want to know the heart of God, if you want to know why we do what we do here, the perfect, holy, heavenly Father in full stride, running toward every wayward son, every wayward daughter, arms opened wide to offer mercy and grace and compassion when they've blown it. When you blew it, when I blew it, that's why we do what we do. You know, what What does that say about the heart of God? Anybody here need mercy today? You know anybody in your life that needs forgiveness, that needs compassion, that needs love? I mean, the kid in this story had gone to feeding pigs. Let me ask you, some of you. Are you getting a little tired of feeding whatever it is you're feeding? Trying to find satisfaction. Listen, some of you have been feeding greed your whole life. Aren't you tired of that? I mean, how many more things? How much more stuff? How many more toys do you think you know, is going to satisfy? When are you going to get off of that binge? Get out of that feeding trough. Some of you here today, you've been feeding lust. And you keep running up to that pornography trough thinking that it'll deliver this time. This time I log in. This time I look at my phone. This time I look at the images. This time I wake up in the middle of the night and go to my computer. It will satisfy. And you end up just like this son, sick to your stomach, wanting to throw up because it never satisfies. It never delivers what it promises to. It it is a ripoff and it wrecks your soul. How long are you going to keep feeding on the stuff that doesn't satisfy? Man, it's time to come to your senses just like this kid and say, enough. This is crazy. You know, some of you, you're almost there. In fact, just coming here is a, is a huge step. And, and some of you have gotten to that place where you're thinking about turning around and heading home. But here's what you're worried about. You're worried, well, if I actually take that plunge, if I actually take that step, instead of grace and mercy, I am going to find a closed fist. I'm going to find shame. I'm going to feel guilt instead of embraced. I'm going to be, I'm, you're worried that you're going to find judgment. Instead of mercy. The Bible says, according to this passage, this story, the reason Jesus told it is, listen, stop worrying about that. This story is for you. It's for me. He wants you to know exactly what you can expect from the loving Heavenly Father if you will simply turn around. And all turning around means is you turn your back on that, that distant land, that faraway place, and you head home. You know what you'll find? Man, you will find, you ready for this? The loving Heavenly Father, the God of the universe in full stride, running to you with arms open wide. Now there's one more thing in this story that you and I miss. 
And it's another thing that Jesus' listeners would have completely expected to hear in this story. And I want to close with this. That there was a well-known ceremony that used to occur any time a son would return home after losing a significant portion of the inheritance that he had received from his dad. Dad's already passed away. Usually, he's lost everything. There's a ceremony that he could expect when he got home. If the father had died, and again, the son had lost, whether it was, you know, he gambled it away, made some foolish business deals, when he returns, the whole village, when they found out about it, they would each get some clay vases, each one of them, and they'd fill up these clay vases with stones, and then together as a community, they would march out, and all together, they would go to the place where the foolish son lived. They would go to his house, and then they'd call him to come outside, and then one by one, the people of this village, they would raise up those clay vases above their heads, full of stones, and they would smash them down on the doorstep of the front of this kid's house. In effect, what they would be saying is, hey, listen, you broke trust with your father. He gave you his inheritance, and you broke trust with the family that you should have been caring about. And, and in a way, you've broken trust with the entire community because now we are going to have to take responsibility for your family. And so when the, when the last vase was shattered, the whole village would do something really interesting. They would literally all turn their backs on that kid, and they would begin walking the other way. It was like a form of excommunication. You know, and in that culture, I mean, really, for a lot of people, it was a fate worse than death. And so you could imagine that that threat of that shunning ordeal would keep a lot of kids from doing some stupid things with their family inheritance. The problem is I can't read that story without thinking about the church today and thinking about how many wayward sons, how many wayward daughters there are, and basically, you know what the church does when they think about coming home, when they try to come home? They basically smash a vase in front of them, and they turn their backs on them, and they walk the other way, acting like they don't care. Now, back to the story. The son returns to the dad. The dad's given mercy. They're walking to the home, arm in arm. you got to imagine tears rolling down their cheeks. And then Jesus puts one final twist to the story. Because the listeners are all expecting, okay, that's all good and fine, Jesus. Now the community's going to come out, and we're going to shun this kid. And we're going to teach him what, you know, what, what it's all about. And everybody's going to come out of their homes, their vases, full of stones, and they're going to smash him on the ground, and they're going to turn their backs on him. But how does the story end? The dad in the story does one more thing that a Middle Eastern dad would never do, he throws a party. And the, the, son, the son's dad sends the word out, hey, no shunning here. You know, I, I know what he did. I know what he did was stupid. I know he, he chose to go his own way. I know he blew it. But I'm still alive, and he's still alive, and we've made amends, and don't punish him for embarrassing me because he's not an embarrassment to me. And so the father says to the people in the village, hey, guess what? Tomorrow, come on out. Instead of smashing jars, we're going to drink some wine. 
Instead of spilling stones all over the driveway, we're going to fill our stomachs with the, the, the meat of a fatted calf. We're going to have a barbecue. Instead of cutting relationship with my son, we're going to celebrate reconciliation because my son who was lost, he is now found. My son who is dead, he is now alive. And we're going to throw a party. And to end, in the ending of the story like that, Jesus' listeners, man, they had to be shaking their head one more time going, man, this is no, this is not the dad that I know. This is not a father like I know. This is no ordinary dad, which again, listen to me, is precisely the point of Jesus. Because the whole parable is designed to leave us all shaking our heads going, man, the heavenly father. He's not an ordinary father. He is the most extraordinary father that, that, that human minds could ever try to comprehend. He is real. He redefines mercy. He redefines compassion and love of another kind. Coastal, listen to me. That is how we roll. That's why we do what we do. That's why we challenge you to, to build relationships like Jesus did. To spend time with people who are far from him. That's why we search for the lost. That's why we wait patiently for every wayward son and wayward daughter to come home. That's why we don't give up on anybody here. That's why we'll do anything short of sin to see people come home. That's why we celebrate when people come home. That's why we celebrate when people get baptized. Because that's the heart of God. And it ought to be our heart. Guys, people matter to God. You never lock eyes with another human being that wasn't created in the image of God just like you and matters as much as you do. And if they matter to God, they ought to matter to us. Do you see that? Do you get it? For those of you who, are, who have been lost and are now found, you know what it ought to do? It ought to just drive you to worship a God like that. It ought to drive all of us to, to do whatever it takes, just like Jesus, to reach people. Some of you, are you ready to come home? I don't know what you think you're going to find, but I know what Jesus says you'll find. A loving, heavenly Father who is waiting, watching, he is ready, he is ready to run in full stride, arms open wide for you. Come home today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just, I believe today that there is somebody here who feels like they've been in a distant land, a faraway place for a long time. And they've been at whatever feeding trough, we've all been at one thinking that this thing, this relationship, whatever it is, that's going to satisfy and it doesn't. God, maybe, just maybe, they're at rock bottom. And they've come here today and, and they're here and they've taken that step toward home, but they're afraid to, they're afraid to go all in. They're afraid to come to you. They, they think they're going to receive a, an angry fist. I hope today they've seen, they'll see, they'll see you running toward them, arms open wide. Listen, just pour your heart out to God. He's the only one today who can see your heart. Just say, Father, I love you. 
I've been away too long. Today I want to come home. I believe. I believe that you sent your son Jesus for me. That he lived a different kind of life. He showed a different kind of love. And he did that for me. My rebellion, my sin put him on that cross. But your love and power was too great. And he rose from the dead. He is alive. I believe it. And for the rest of my days, God, I just want to follow Jesus and live for him. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming me home. Thank you for the celebration all of heaven is experiencing right now. Thank you. Father, I pray for our church. May we truly see your heart. May we be a little bit more like Jesus. May we be less and less like the self-righteous, judgmental Pharisees and Sadducees who didn't understand what Jesus was about. May we not be like that older son, that older brother who later on in the story was upset by the celebration. God, there's people all around us in this community, people all around us who need Jesus, who need to come home to a loving Father. May we be all about that. We love you, and I pray this in Jesus' name today. Amen. Hey, guys, this morning we want to continue to work.